Good evening. I'm Nancy Nangeroni. I'm Gordine McKenzie. And this is Gender Talk. Again, this is Gender Talk, worldwide radio that talks about transgenderism in the first person. Each week, we bring you news, information, and exciting new voices that challenge our traditional view of gender and much more. Tonight, we'll meet the award-winning feminist media producer and former talk radio host Jennifer Abad, whose most recent work deals with old women activists. We'll talk with her about that and, and about her video on the vision of Audre Lorde and much more. Then we'll speak with Chris Abani, an award-winning author and professor who was imprisoned, tortured, and sentenced to death for his literary activities. We'll talk with him about the subversive human and compassion of his newest poetry collection, Hands Washing Water. And because it's a lot like washing our brains, we'll also have the Twisted Nasty News, Raving Raven, Gender News, Question of the Week, and much more tonight on Gender Talk. Hello, everybody. It's another Saturday night here at WMBR in Cambridge, which means it's time for Gender Talk. And I'm your host, Nancy Nangeroni, and co-hosting with me is... Gordine McKenzie. The fabulous <laughs> Gordine McKenzie. <laughs> and uh, also with us by telephone... Hello. It's Mr. Hal Fuller. How are you doing tonight, Hal? Doing good, good, good. How are you doing, Miss Chili McKenzie? I'm doing great, Nancy. Thank you. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm doing lousy. This is rotten weather, and it just kills my neck. I have to say, I can't stand this rainy stuff, even though it's stopped raining now. Yeah, but you can feel it in oh, those bones, huh? It's like a lead collar around oh. my neck. Yeah, I could do without it. That would be just fine. Anyway, hey, everybody. But we do have a good show for you tonight. Uh, let's see. First of all, we have somebody we didn't tell you about yet. We're going to have, his name is John, what's his last name? Mackenzie? Our, uh, our first not ready. Yeah, no. John Kimball of the No Shore Music Theater. That's We're right. We're going to talk with John about uh, the production that's now showing there, which or playing there, I should say, Jesus Christ Superstar. And uh, you know, we we uh, got an email from a uh, one of the folks associated with the theater saying, "Hey, why don't you have um, somebody on from this production? It's very interesting. We have a gay man, you know, playing the lead role, and our producer's gay, and all of that. Our so, director. Our director. So." Uh, Anyway, we talked with John Kimmel about that. And if you haven't seen Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, what great music. Uh, of course, it's Andrew Lloyd Webber, and just a great piece of work, one of my favorite stage pieces. So, have you seen it before, Nancy? I have seen it. Uh, I actually saw it produced um, um, in a production at a school someplace in Rhode Island. I don't remember what school. Oh, yeah? My nephew was playing one of the uh, nasty folks in there. Oh. Uh, I forget what, the guy, what exactly the role was, but uh, it was great. I was really impressed at how well the production held up when done by an amateur group, and it was really terrific. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So uh, may have just been because my nephew was in it, but uh, <laughs> I love the music. Well, we we have the CDs at home. That's right. And just uh, it's one of my it's probably my favorite show tunes out there. Show you, tunes. What do you think of it, Hal? You seen Jesus Christ Superstar? Or the, oh or yes, I've seen it. I think it's excellent, and uh, there's a production of it out on DVD that's I forget who's starring is uh, JC but it's quite good is that right yep oh cool oh this would be my first first view and then yeah yeah and uh, so now also um, on the show tonight 
We're going to have... Raven Raven. Not, oh, yeah, I forgot to introduce Raven Raven. Forgot me so soon. Sorry, Raven. I've forgotten you two out of the last three weeks. What does that mean, Nancy? Uh, I don't know. That her memory is slipping. I think it's. I think. I think I'm detaching myself already. I think this is our second to last show, folks. Uh, one more. One more program, and that'll be it for Gender Talk. And we're thinking that Gender Talk isn't going to come back. We're thinking that if we do come back, it'll be as something a little different. Um, so we're thinking that this is going to be it for Gender Talk um, next week. So um, we are inviting you, though. If you're out there listening, if you're in the Boston area, or if you're somebody who's been on the show before, and uh, we'd love for you to come down the station during the show next week, yeah. Saturday, September 30th, between 8 and 10 p.m., we'll be here in the studio, and uh, uh, we'd love to love to have you drop by. And There uh, might even be cake and cookies and things. It could be. There could be. I've been told it's it's somebody's birthday and that uh, we might that have birthday-appropriate stuff. I think you were the one who told me. <laughs> I told you it was your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so we might have some, uh, you know, some, a little dessert. Was that a little hint for them to bring presents? Absolutely not. Presents <laughs> will not be accepted. They should bring their presents, though. They should, they should. There you go. That yeah. would be the presents, huh? Exactly. So make yourself present. Come on down. Um, join us on microphone. Say hi if you've been a long-time listener. Tell the folks. And uh, it would be very interesting to have a little bit of, uh, uh, of our listenership here with us to uh, bid adieu to our 12-year program. Or former guests. We, or we former, former guests Absolutely. Well. Absolutely. Uh, if you've been wondering what we look like all this time, this is your last shot. Then you haven't been to the website. <laughs> <laughs> well, some so. of us have changed. And how we're going to try and get you into the studio next week if we can? Oh, like I'm going to try real hard. Can we do it? Okay, great. Yeah. So we'll we'll come by and get you for that. So, uh, but our guest tonight, our our, our our real guests tonight, Gordine Jennifer Abad. Is am I pronouncing mm-hmm. her name right? I believe so. And she's produced. We watched a couple of videos she produced. Terrific one about Audre, Audre Lorde. Oh yeah. That I really enjoyed. Uh, I'm not. I'm. I'm actually not too familiar with Audre Lorde, so it was a very nice introduction to her vision and her work. Well, I really appreciate it. Many people know Audre Lorde by Master's Tools. Will not uh, dismantle, dismantle the Master's, the master's house, house. Of course, yeah. I think we all know the quote. Yeah. Yes, she's. A but Audre Lorde was a phenomenal poet as well, and oh, yeah. her, her poet was, poetry was dedicated to change and trying to think of ways to create cultural change So Jennifer made a video um, about Audre Lorde that's uh, quite good. And she also made one um, about um, some activist f- folks who call themselves Old Women. It's the Old Women's Project. The Old Women's Project. And uh, very interesting, very feisty, very, uh, uh, very interesting, cool folks doing uh, activism and uh, objecting to all and of the And uh, what it means is uh, uh, pissed off old women engaged in revolution. Pissed off old women engaged in revolution. That's, that's right. what what means. The Old Women's Project. Oh, that's where oh, it came okay. from. <laughs> and then we're going to meet a poet and a... Uh, or, fiction writer, too. And a professor, right? Uh, yes, and, and fiction writer. Uh, Chris Abani, that's who right. uh, uh, was imprisoned, tortured, and sentenced to death. In Nigeria. In Nigeria. So, fascinating. Um so uh, somebody who really has a serious stake in his work. And there. he has a new work that's coming out uh, next year that I think has a transgender character in it as well. Cool. Is he a gay man or is he a straight man, do you know? We'll ask 
Chris. We can ask him? Okay. Because in Nigeria, of course, uh, being gay would have been a reason for yeah, imprisonment absolutely. in and of itself. So anyway, uh, interesting show tonight. Interesting guests. Um, now, uh, we have some sad news for you. We uh, heard again from... Oops, I'm being handed a note. Oh. Aha. Pronounced Abid. Or Abid. Wait a minute. Come back. Come back in here. <laughs> where, where, where'd he go? Abid? Abid. All right. Our, our pronunciation is corrected. It's Jennifer Abid. Jennifer Abid. Yeah. So there and you go. And that's a thank you to Keith. Yes. Who thank came you. in here Keith with an orange, orange note. <laughs> Indispensable. Uh, one, of, one of the respected um, uh, folks around here at the station, I guess. So anyway... Um, we have some bad news for you from um, Susie and um, Jackie. Jackie. We got an email. We told you, I think, a couple of weeks ago that um, they had good news that they had someone in the UK who was going to treat Jackie with hormones. If you recall, they were on the show back in December. Uh, Jackie was, at that time, 11, I think, or 12 years old, I yep. forget. And um, they were they had come to this country seeking somebody who would give her um, testosterone blockers um, so that she wouldn't have to go through a male puberty and then go through a reversal of that process afterwards. It doesn't make any sense for young kids who know themselves to be women to have to go through a male puberty or for those who know themselves to be men to have to go through a female puberty. It just doesn't make sense. I knew before puberty. I wish I could have stopped it. Yeah. Um, and so here we have a mother who's very sympathetic, both parents, very sympathetic to their child and trying to get it, get care for her, for Jackie. And um, But they had written us a few weeks ago saying, in fact, exactly a month ago, mo- exactly a month before we got this letter, saying, um, good news, we found somebody, a woman doctor here in UK who will treat Jackie and give her the hormones she needs. Well, we got a letter that, that the offer has been reversed. The doctor is very sorry, but cannot proceed without the support of a mental health team. And due to the current UK guidelines, the local team are not willing to support early intervention with blockers. So this doctor will not be able to prescribe the hormone blockers. Um, Susie writes that they are understandably devastated by this turnaround, and they will now be making plans to come back to the United States. And Jackie, of course, is feeling very badly that it's costing them a lot of money, that that her needs are costing her family a lot of money. Um, And the whole thing, Susie writes, has been a nightmare. Yeah, so sorry. So, sad. so sorry. Because the only places then are that we know of are Holland and the U.S. Where, where you can get hormone blockers. Yeah, people are are doing that. There may be other places, but uh, and certainly if you know about them, let us know. Well, certainly it's been a long time mission of Gender Talk to educate around these issues and to to help further the consensus that in fact hormone treatments are legitimate and necessary for a lot of transgender And these folks. are also reversible in terms of adolescence, too. Yeah. And that that was one of the concerns that many of the professionals had raised. So. That, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a sad thing. I mean, we've made a lot of progress, but apparently a little bit less than we thought we had made right there. So yeah, very sad. Our hearts go out to you, uh, Susie and Jackie. And I, I imagine the female doctor that had said she was sympathetic and wanted to do it received a lot of pressure and a lot of resistance, it sounds like. Or else just a complete lack of support and, yeah. um, you know, um, was 
um, perhaps under threat of losing her profession. So, you know, I'm sure she wanted to do the right thing, but was ultimately unable to. And so that's unfortunate. So our our best wishes go out. Now, uh, we we need to get moving along, but do we want to mention the visitor that we had in our house the last few days? That's true. We've been hanging out with a cowgirl for, let's see, since what, uh, last Monday. She she came to the uh, university where I teach, and uh, we're talking about Linda Brown, who is a longtime ranching woman. Uh, Linda, in the early 70s, went out on a uh, chuck wagon where women weren't allowed and cooked for five uh, cowboys. Right. And was very, yeah, she was, was, telling us was that out story. there for, for an entire month, and she made more money than the cowboys did at that point. So... Um, if the if you're wondering what we've talked about this a little bit, if you're wondering what Gordine McKenzie is going to be doing after Gender Talk, she's going to be writing about ranching women in the Southwest. That's right. And, and she cooked beans. She cooked beans. That's what she said. We said, "What do you feed these folks?" And she said, "Well, beans, lots of beans, yeah, lots <laughs> and of potatoes, beans, beans and potatoes." So great stuff. Anyway, we had we had and a lovely very visit. strong woman, and and that's an yeah. interesting thing about uh, ranching women uh, that you you develop a phenomenal strength you have to in order to survive out there yeah absolutely so anyway there's there's some fascinating stuff that's going to be coming your way uh from ms mckenzie first though we've got hal fuller and the gender talk twisted nasty news for the next to last time that's right Oh, how sad. Okay, we can't keep doing that all show. No, we can't. We cannot. <laughs> okay, get it out of the way now. Uh, photo finished. Craig Moore, 28, was driving in Manchester, England, when he was flashed by a speed camera. Do the things along the road that are recording people speeding. Sure. Um, afraid he would get a speeding ticket and he would push him over the limit of points on his license and trigger a driving ban would lose his job. He returned with explosive and destroyed the camera in an attempt to destroy the evidence. But because he didn't wreck the recording device in the base, the camera got evidence of him setting up the charge. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> which cost him over 11,000 pounds. He set up the charge on camera? He set up the charge on camera. Oh, my. And he, for some reason, thought the recording device would be in the camera itself. Right. Brilliant. And so he was sentenced to four months in jail, and but wasn't banned from driving. The camera was just a warning device, uh, rather than to yeah. hand out citations. You probably haven't noticed this because you don't do much driving, but increasingly they're sticking these things on the side of the road that tell you what speed you're driving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I find them very effective. I find that when that thing and it fl- it flashes if you're going too fast and it just sits there and tells you your speed if you're going the right speed. It or, keeps you aware. I, no, I, I think they're yeah. useful. Yeah, yeah it gives great. you feedback. Yeah, it's not hugely judgmental. Just lets you know, and it's a slightly negative feedback because the f- the flashing is a little bit irritating. The solid numbers aren't, and so it seems like an ideal solution. They should just line the roads with those things. Well, the problem is that some of the machines are set up to actual issue, issue citations. Oh, they'll take the uh, license number and oh, suddenly you'll get a summons or something in the mail. I had no idea. So uh, it's been done. Well, then the explosives become understandable. That's like (laughs) Big Brother out there watching you. Just kidding. No. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't don't know. You know, uh, I guess I think the real solution is for us to automate automate our roadways, automate our cars. We've got enough intelligence in the electronics now, so we should be able to um, make that automatic so that 
Or figure out a way to use public transportation and drive less and save the environment more. Well, that's a better solution. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. From the Transportation Security Administration, their recent ban on carry-on liquids that has been instituted recently since a alleged plot to blow up jetliners, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Gels and ointments apparently do not apply to sex quantities of personal small quantities of personal lubricant. Where's your money? If you can take you can take the KY. On, on the plane with you? On the plane with you. You can take small amounts of personal Who said lubricant. That? Wow. So but you can't take hand lotion, so I'm baffled. Well hand lotion is kind of the sub we're getting really nitty gritty here on, on so speak, how these yeah. things are used, but basically KY, which is specifically designed as a personal lubricant, um, more often than not for sexual activities, apparently has been okayed. I don't get that at I all. I don't either. I mean, that's good, but I don't get it at all. Why? Is they're letting that and not anything else? Yeah, why that and, like water. <laughs> and not you know any kind of hand cream or, you know? Well, for one thing, there's absolutely no chance that you could get that stuff to explode. No, but you could put something else in a KY container. Uh, no, I, I, hey, I'm just reporting. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's all right, and I'm just commenting. I don't know either. That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, that, that's a twisted, nasty, weird one. From Colombia, their, ex- <laughs> their exports of hormiga culanga, quote-unquote, big butt ant queens... That's it. <laughs> are down this year due to a harsh winter and aggressive lizards and birds, causing steep prices for chocolate-dipped ants <gasps> and ant-based sauces and spreads. Ant-based oh, sauces and spreads. Those poor ants. Darn. What are we going to eat, Mackenzie? What are we going to bring to uh, to the next party we go to? Oh, Nancy. I guess peanut butter, like normal people do raven what's that do you like the ants raven well i was i was reading that there's a chemical cocktail uh that's turning argentina ants against each other really yeah there's an aggressive form of ant and so they're uh trying to uh use chemical scents so they get the other ants to tear them apart oh that's lovely isn't technology wonderful no no Okay, let's see. What's up? Oh, chocolate dip ants. Da, 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 da. The problem uh, with technology is the way it gets used. Technology itself isn't bad, but boy. There's a place in, is it in New York City where you could enjoy virtually any delicacy such as scorpion, cricket, tarantula, and maggot. Hal, I think I'm noticing a theme here. No, 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 no. We're. <laughs> We're going to get off that one real quick. Okay, from chasing a mule deer with a helicopter, which is really silly and really cruel. And why yeah, are they it's doing really that? cruel. Might seem less than sporting. It's also a violation of federal law. Good. A South Dakota man was sentenced Wednesday to two years of probation for chopper chasing a herd in the Nebraska National Forest. Uh, too often, what they do is they hunt from the air. Oh, oh that's really. You call that hunting? That's not hunting. Oh yeah, that's like. A really hard target there, folks. Yeah. Especially if you're moving at exactly the same speed, you're essentially stationary relative to the deer. So they're terrorizing that mule deer and they're trying to kill it? Hunting is supposed to be about... No, they're just just terrorizing it. They're just uh, having fun. Hunting is supposed to be about using your wits and using skill, not using machinery 
You know, it's not supposed to be about overwhelming your opposition with machinery. It's supposed to be about using as little technology as possible and as much of your wit and skill as possible so that your prey has a chance. I mean, it's not hunting if your prey doesn't have a chance. Then it's just shooting ducks in a barrel. Hey, and if you're out of ideas this summer for parties from Walpole, Mass., they, uh, two concerned citizens hosted a pump-out party with wine and cheese to encourage neighbors to keep their septic systems in good order. Oh, oh. So first, of all, there, first of all, it's not summer anymore. It's fall. Oh, okay. Not yet. Not officially. Isn't it? I thought that... You could still do it. It's still warm. Oh. It is. Wait. It's the 23rd today. Did the yep. equinox come and go? We missed it. Where was I? Equinox had come and go. We were go. entertaining. <laughs> oh. So, a pump-out party, is that it? A pump-out party. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, well, it is fall. Of course, when the host allowed their tank to be publicly cleaned as a demonstration, the eating and drinking tend to stop rather suddenly. I would think so. Uh, time to leave now, dear. Uh, Joseph Butts is in jail, and I, where is it? Joseph Butts in jail in Franklin County, Missouri, the results of being caught with 338 pounds of marijuana in a traffic stop. But according to the St. Louis, po- Louis Post-Dispatch, he informed the arresting officer that hassling him would be a hate crime because he was a special courier transporting religious instruments between member monasteries of the Church of the Cognizance, which uses marijuana as a sacrament. Did that fly? <laughs> yeah, did it. Yeah, did and it. if you believe that one, I'll tell you another one. <laughs> so he didn't get away with it, I guess. Uh, they weren't buying it, Gourney, no. Gourney and I were eating lunch yesterday at the Atomic Cafe in Beverly, and there was a young fellow working there who tried oh, to convince right. me that ginger ale is just made from Sprite with a little bit of Coca-Cola thrown in. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Because they don't carry ginger ale, so he's like, "Oh, you can make it out of you Sprite with just a little bit." You can just mix it up, yeah. <laughs> I said, "Sorry, no sale." Yeah, nice analogies. A drunk Chinese tourist bit a panda at the Beijing Zoo after the animal attacked him when he jumped into the enclosure and tried to hug it. I can ah, understand yeah. the panda biting him. Yeah. Zhang Ziyan had drunk four pitchers of beer, that significant amount of beer, folks, yeah. at a restaurant before stumbling to the zoo, stopping off at a pen holding a sleeping six-year-old panda, jumped in, tried to hug him, uh, the panda bit him, and he bit him back. <laughs> Leave those animals alone. <laughs> what I want to know is, did he stop off to pet the rattlesnakes on his way out of the zoo? No, I think he was escorted rather quickly from that point. By the way, the Maybe panda next suffered. Visit. The panda suffered no injury from the uh, the from bite. The bite. Oh, good. Even though we know human bite is among the worst. <laughs> yeah, but panda skin is a lot thicker than our teeth. There you go. Maybe maybe that person should be the one that's in the cage. <laughs> the panda should be allowed to be free. See the geek. Uh, military coup leaders in Thailand, often called the Land of Smiles, did you know that? Apparently didn't want to ruin the image, so they're ordering Thai soldiers to smile. Ordering this them? Is, this is post-coup? Ordering them to smile. As it, there was yeah. a coup in Thailand. I wonder what that's doing for the SRS business there. But Don't know. The military has taken over in Thailand, yeah. Mm. I mean, it's such an industry that it, it would be rough to cut it off. Yeah, one would think. Uh, it's, it's up there with the money talks. Yeah, yeah. 
um, yeah, one would think that they would continue the practice to have the income. But you never know. Okay, from San Diego, a man suspected of bumbling an August bank robbery while outfitted in a Ronald Reagan mask and cape was arrested. During the robbery at the Bank of America, the mass robber stumbled to the ground after the gun got tangled up in his cape, and his getaway vehicle got boxed in by delivery trucks, <laughs> forcing him to inch backward and forward to patch his way out, oh. sort of drawing attention to himself. Just a little. Uh, from Madrid, Spain, the world's first ban on overly thin models. At a top-level fashion show in Madrid, yeah, the story I meant to cover but didn't get to earlier. Yeah, uh huh. Um, he's caused outrage among modeling agencies and raised the prospect of restrictions on other venues. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice to if we uh, showed I, real people? Yeah, if we actually idolized women who actually looked like real women or not like not like they were starved. Well, exactly. <laughs> Shouldn't be idolized. It'd be nice. Can you conceive of a culture? I can conceive of a culture where we, where we weren't inundated from birth with images of women's body parts. Can you imagine that? You I know, can. Where, where our sexuality wasn't about lusting after women's bodies, but rather was a natural thing that whose um, whose communion we found with a with a partner who might be male or woman, or female. That's right. Um, how much time we got? Um, minus, one more, two more? Minus three minutes. <laughs> one, say one or two more. Okay. Uh, from Aiken, South Carolina, as if talking on a cell phone wasn't distraction enough, police in Aiken, South Carolina busted a man for what you might call DWP, which is driving with porn. Hmm. Officer said Tracy Pope had an X-rated DVD playing on an in-car video system. Playing uh, video while he's driving. He was playing porn videos while he was driving. Brilliant. Oh. Absolutely brilliant. It was only a matter of time. Yeah, the charges he faces include felony disseminating or promoting obscenity. That's because authorities said a kid might have looked into the car and spotted the porno on the video screen. I'm sorry, that one's lame. Endangerment, maybe. Reckless endangerment, yes, but yeah. that that's a little bit... That's but a bit I, of a reach. The, the, uh, busting him is probably fine. They need a better charge. Yeah. From, and we'll make this the last one. Okay. It, it's a sweet one. You'll appreciate it. It's very romantic. From Yuldanaskovsk, Russia. <laughs> and the oh, Russians hate me now. <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> uh, workers in that town received an unusual order from the area's governor, go home to your loved ones, relax, and let nature take its course. It was the most direct attempt yet to reverse the politic the country's downward population trend. So the Telegraph of London said that Russian officials have been coming up with ways to help reverse what President Vladimir Putin calls the country's biggest threat. So they're suggesting that people go home in the afternoon and have a nice snog. So they're not having they're not having enough babies born, is that what it is? That's what it is. Oh darn, heaven forbid we not overpopulate the world like crazy. Well there there are areas where there aren't as many people in their areas where there are too many people. It's just the imbalance. Well, we have, you know, planes and trays and, and cars and boats. We can move people around. Now, oh, wait a minute. That's <laughs> scary. Isn't that what the U.S. does? Moves people around? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. They pay for Viagra. Let nature take its course. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, they do a lot of insane things. I knew that things. would get you going. 
So I guess that's it for this edition of the Gender Talk Twisted Nasty News. Take only if directed and one more to go. All right. I'm, okay, I'm not going to do it anymore. Thank you, Hal. Yes. <laughs> I think that's enough. I went everybody's head about the bird. And now it's time for Raving Raven. How are you doing tonight, Raven? Oh, Nancy, I'm I'm flapping around here, <laughs> oh, as you can Nancy. tell, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm right. pretty flappy. You're flapping. What's yeah. up with that? Been a little wet today, but a little wet of wing. But yeah. other than that, I'm doing pretty darn good. Well, good. I'm glad yeah. you're hanging in there. Wet well, bird never flies at night. Well, sometimes I do, Hal. Oh, was that you going by, Lat? Okay. Yeah, that was me. That was me whipping by. Anyway, you know, sometimes I just don't understand these studies that they do, and I, I wonder about the conditions that they're doing them uh, under and wonder about those poor animals that are in the studies. There's a new study that come just came out that says rats, like humans, contemplate problems by carefully weighing the costs and benefits of a situation before making decisions. And this is a new study on why star rats... A rodent developed for research. That sends them a couple of notches up the evolutionary chain by my standards. And what they tend to do is they tend to take these poor little rats and they run them through all kinds of mazes and they hide all kinds of treats for them and then they have to make decisions as to whether or not they're going to go and they're going to get the easy treat or they're going to go through all these mazes to get a little better treat. Well, and they're usually sugar pellets. There was an older study where they found that rats and mice could influence the behavior of human beings by refusing to eat the cheese. So. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on your perspective. It does, doesn't it? Well, but it just kind of surprises me, you know, that the, these poor rats are bred their whole life in these laboratories. And then they just run them through the maze and then they go, oh, rats like humans make decisions. What did they think? Yeah, big surprise. Huh? Look at look at how we're stereotyped, Nancy. We got we got a lot of work to do here. I think so. Well, on another note, uh, a dog in India has taken up yoga. A three-year-old German Shepherd has reportedly taken up yoga in India, and uh, Hiftrick, which is the name of the dog, practices traditional exercises under the watchful eyes of his trainer. And uh, he said that he was very weak when he was born. And so they took special care of him, and then he became very strong after his yoga lessons. He started imitating me two years ago, said he's human, and now sits beside me when I perform yoga. He follows my asnas, including my breathing. And I found that he wanted to do yoga, then I started training him. Now both of us do yoga together every morning. I love it. And it's also reported that uh, that little dog helps in household chores, is a vegetarian, ah, rah, ah, 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 and loves to eat ripe papayas and cucumbers. And they asked him if he'd teach yoga to other dogs, and he said he hadn't thought about it yet. Wait a minute. Oh, you mean to ask the guy if he... That human. Oh, okay. That human. <laughs> I just didn't ask the, the dog. The dog has not yet made it up to talking. Now, notice they wouldn't ask the dog yeah, exactly. to teach yoga, even though the dog learned on its own. And there's a little Jack Russell dog that has been riding a horse. And it jumps on the back of a small Shetland pony. And it trots around 
Yeah. In England. Yeah, I think we've all seen, and, you know, videos, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, just, pictures. just takes a little bit of a ride. Yep. And they have found some 50 new species in Indonesia reefs, including walking sharks. And these walking sharks are slender-bodied sharks that walk with their fins along the coral reefs. No kidding. Yeah, they wow. do. Cool. And uh, they they found a number of uh, new species, and uh, they're they're walking upright on those those fins all the time. They discovered those in 1930 Max Flesher cartoon. They did. <laughs> <laughs> Were they walking on their fins? Right. Okay. Doing a little boo ba 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 dance. Yeah. Yeah. And then my all-time favorite story sent to me by Brenna. And you can actually watch this story because we're going to post it, uh, a we'll link po- to we'll it. post the link. There was an abandoned kitten by the name of Cassie. And this happened in Ohio. And uh, it happened a few years ago, but I just ran across it. And uh, the little abandoned kitten was dumped. And when the people found it, they thought it might have been a rat because it was so small. And they found that that little kitten got adopted by a crow. Your kit, a crow, a crow adopted a kitten. Adopted the kitten, and it started to take food that it would get out of the lawn, and it would feed the little kitten through its beak. And they started hanging out together from dusk to dawn. And they took walks together. They walk right next to each other. And uh, their humans say they make a beautiful pair. And said, I think they'll always be best friends. You know, actually, I went and looked at that. And it's amazing. Can you believe it, Nancy? It's amazing to see a crow and a kitten. And they actually play. And the kitty, like, jumps on the crow and yeah, stuff. Yeah, they, they roll, roll around. around. And then they walk. And then they groom. Yeah. They hang much. out. That's it for the bird with the word. All right. Well, thank you, Raven. That's a great one. Uh, I love that a lot. Another bonding, another animal bonding experience. <laughs> and that is ah, it. Ah. All right. Ah. It's time now for the Gender Talk Gender News. And what have we got tonight? Boy, we've got a bunch of stuff. First of all, we have some uh, good news from Latvia. The Latvian Parliament has banned discrimination of homosexual employees. Uh, this is pretty cool from Baltic country. After lengthy deliberations, this is uh, according to what? The Baltic Times. After lengthy deliberations, the Latvian Parliament passed amendments to the labor law banning discrimination of employees on the grounds of their sexual orientation. Of course, it doesn't include uh, gender identity and expression yet, but... You know, it's a step in the right direction, and it's always nice to see steps in the right direction, even if they aren't steps that explicitly uh, help you in particular, but it's always a good thing. Oh, great, great news. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a new study that's been released that finds that women and minorities are hurt by media consolidation and that media consolidation cuts out women and minority uh, television broadcast station owners, according to this report. And they found that fewer than 5% of all broadcast stations were owned by women, even though women constitute 51% of the U.S. population. Fewer than 5%. Mm-hmm. Wow. And minorities own over uh, just over 3% of all stations, but constitute 33% 
of the U.S. Uh, population. And so as more and more televisions and uh, news uh, other forms of news They're begin to consolidate and other yeah. kinds of media consolidate. More and more women and uh, minorities are getting knocked out. And uh, Kim Gandy of the National Organization of Women said, there are so few women's voices on broadcast television, and uh, part of the absence of women's perspective stems from the absence of women owners. And certainly the of same course. applies to, to minority owners. And there would be some people who would say, well, now you know we can get our news from the Internet and stuff like that. But you've got to remember that the people who are able to get all their news from the Internet are people who have the money. So that it's there's a class differentiation there in terms of the news. So what you're saying then is that people who are economically disadvantaged are forced to get propaganda in place of news, even if right. those of us who are uh, who are more well off are able to get our news online. Well, isn't that some concern with the UPN network, which may disappear with the, the new CW network? Um, what in UPN has been carried very black friendly programming for a long time oh okay i wasn't oh. i wasn't aware of that yep. in my ignorance and so they yeah they've been bought out by uh somebody or other right cw whoever the hell they are so when they get gobbled up then who, knows? who what's the programming going to be like and, and one of the concerns is that it's making women and it's making uh persons of color and different ethnicities even more invisible than they already are yeah yeah exactly Okay, so that media consolidation, bad thing for gender reasons. Uh, the Center for Disease Control, uh, in stories that came out this week, Center for Disease Control in Atlanta is now backing HIV testing for everyone between the ages of 13 and 64. Uh, they're recommending routine testing for the AIDS virus um, for all folks between those ages, saying that an HIV test should be as common as a cholesterol check. How about that? That certainly makes a lot of sense. I, I think that's interesting. However, I'm wondering why they would stop at uh, 64 because they're finding that one of the fastest growing rates of AIDS that's occurring is between senior citizens. No kidding. And I'm sure that there's senior citizens that are older that, that you know, may benefit from that. So you're... So you're saying so you're saying seniors have one of the seniors fastest growing are, rates. Yes, they have. They have found that uh, seniors are a population that it really, you know. No, they is. probably don't value seniors as much. Well, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later when we we get Jennifer on. I suspect we will. Well, one small step for that is any time that you have blood drawn, uh, you might they could run a test for HIV. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not expensive anymore, and yeah. it should be done. Uh, some good news from Florida. Um, the killer of a trans woman, William McHenry, was sentenced to life in prison this week for the stabby death, stabbing death of Roche McCauley. In Is the, that the first time? Um, that's the first I've ever heard of, yeah. of someone being sentenced to life for murdering a trans person. Uh, the family of the transsexual woman, and this is by 365gay.com uh, news, and it's in Largo, Florida. The family of a transsexual woman murdered in 2003 say they can finally rest easily with the sentencing of the man who killed her. Macaulay uh, was in the process of transitioning and uh, worked uh, dressed as a male during the day when uh, she worked as a male secretary at a Clearwater hospital, and in the evening she was dressing as a woman. This is That's a process that... Um, most of us who transition, or a lot of us who transition, go through at some point, you know, in your transition, you're sort of in this middle ground where you haven't transitioned perhaps at work yet, but you're trying to acclimate to living in your preferred gender 
um, outside of work, and that's what this person was doing um, mm. when she was murdered. So uh, good news from Florida, some progress there. Um, well, that that's encouraging. Yeah. Um, we should know on Monday the fate of three men that were arrested in connection with a series of beatings after a gay pride festival in Balboa Park, which uh, prosecutors said uh, were hate crimes, and they wow. pleaded guilty. I used to hang out in Balboa Park. Did you? Yeah. yeah, this is in the valley, right? Yep. Yeah. And pleaded guilty to... I used to, to roller, roller skate, or rollerblade. Oh, no, I used to roller skate. That was back before they had rollerblades. So it just... Or before I had them, anyway. Was it the steel skates? No, it wasn't steel skates. It was sneakers skates oh, that, that a friend okay. of mine gave me. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was kind of forerunners of... Yeah, Balboa was a nice park. I liked it. It was a nice big park with a big skate path around it. Well, it was, it was after Pride, and uh, the three men and also a juvenile went out with a baseball bat and a knife oh. and began attacking people. And even though they uh, they pleaded guilty, uh, one agreed to an eight-year uh, prison sentence, and another one was on parole for a domestic violence conviction. Oh, my. And the teenage boy that was involved in the attacks also pe- pleaded guilty, and he's uh, scheduled to be sentenced on October 4th. And one of the six men that were attacked that night, uh, the most severely injured victim, underwent facial reconstructive surgery and was just recently released from the hospital. And this happened, you know, at the end of end of July. So, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing the dimensions of hate and all those folks out, those self-righteous folks out there who are decrying the so-called homosexual lifestyle. Um, are fueling this kind of hate that causes people to behave like this. And, you know, anytime anybody says anything uh, in opposition to folks being gay, lesbian, or transgender and doesn't in the same breath um, argue for their safety, then they are fueling this violence and they should bear some of that responsibility. Well, I know walking that block from Central Square to Man Ray, I, I was looking over my back, afraid of people that were mm-hmm. suddenly going to act out their homophobia. Really? In, in Cambridge there? Yeah. Uh, let's see, a report uh, reported on in the Boston Globe, um, uh, a story by Reuters, by Maggie Fox of Reuters, reports that uh, women are being filtered out of high-level science, math, and engineering jobs in the United States, and there's no good reason for it, according to a National Academies report released this past week. A committee of specialists looked at some commonly suspected reasons, biological differences in ability, hormonal influences, child-rearing demands, and differences in ambition, and found no good explanation for why women are being locked out. Of course, you always have people like Lawrence Summers, the former president of Harvard, who argue that women are, in fact, less able. Uh, This study, refuting that argument thoroughly, um, but apparently um, it's about documenting the gender bias in academia. Yeah. Uh, it's it, it's really scary, and and there are other studies that have uh, uncovered other universities that use uh, more of a covert technique, or not so overt, but really discourage young female scientists from uh, working with older men in in terms of their mentors or even collaboration. They refuse to work with them, and we've reported on some of those before. The uh, report 
was compiled by all the National Academies, the National Academy of Sciences, National Academy of Engineering, and the Institute of Medicine. Um, these are the institutions that advise the federal government. So this is a very serious study. Yeah. Uh, that uh, And a quote from uh, the president of the University of Miami and head of the committee that wrote the report, Donna Shalala, said, quote, we found no significant biological differences between men and women in science, engineering, and mathematics that could account for the lower representation of women in academic faculty and scientific leadership positions. And the study also reported that there was a significant difference in pay between yeah. men and women in academia. Oh, so. yeah, and, and that's something that's been known for uh, for a long time. That's ridiculous, because if we look back to many, many years ago, that was being challenged, and we're we're kind of turning the clock yeah back. yeah well and you think academia of all places you know <laughs> would would not be a bastion of bigotry but apparently or a bastion of bias but apparently it still is if you look at the leadership in uh most institutions uh i don't think this you're going to find that most of the leadership are women no certainly not but mit has a woman president now and i'm hoping I'm hoping that she will um, be able to make some progress against the institutionalized sexism or the rampant sexism at MIT. Um, good luck to you, Susan Hockfield. And I hope I got your last name right. Um, one last story. Uh, another good story from Alaska. In Alaska, the state high court um, has ruled that the state's proposed rules on benefits for same-sex couples are too stringent. They're too restrictive, according to the state high court. Judge Stephanie Joannidis Joan also found the state's view of an Alaska Supreme Court decision on the types of benefits to be offered too narrow. Hearings on the proposed regulation will be held in Juneau and Anchorage. So uh, the uh, Alaska court has ruled that the proposed benefits for same-sex couples are too narrow. Hmm. So, you know, marriage is the one way to guarantee equality. Uh, if you recall, a long time ago, um, the, a famous civil rights ruling ruled that separate is never equal. Oh, we know that. Separate cannot be equal. And so having a separate institution for gay and lesbian couples and trans couples. And that isn't equal. Is not equal to marriage and no, never isn't. will be. But anyway, that'll do it for the Gender Talk Gender News. And now it's time for the question of the week. With our own, our very own, Gordine McKenzie. And this question comes from Adam. Adam says, how is a totally non-out teenager in high school? Does one begin a physical and social transition to another gender? Are there any special age-related concerns or problems that I should expect to face with school administration? How might my transition vary from the transition of adults? Oh, Mackenzie, you picked a tough one. <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> wow. Ah. Uh. And your answer? Well, I think one of the first things that I do is I'd ask Adam if uh, he's out to his parents. And I think before you think about the transition in in high school, uh, what kind of support do you have from your family, if any? Uh, who do you have that is supportive towards you? And and that brings up a good a, a good idea, which is. Um, I would say laying the groundwork for your transition, number one, is 
um, you need to get the adults in the school behind you. And the way to do that is to ha- if if you're assuming your parents are behind you, then you need your parents to get the school behind you. Your parents need to get the principal and the teachers behind you so that you have the support of the authorities because school is an authoritarian place unless you're at a very unusual school. Um, It's an authoritarian place and you need um, the authorities there to be on your side to be supporting your transition and that's something your parents need to do for you because the authorities need to know that that they're behind you. So um, we're assuming that your parents, if your parents aren't behind you, then I wouldn't recommend you try to transition without your parents behind you while you're still in high school. Well, I think that begs an interesting question. What's that? Because if someone really needs to transition and their their situation with their parents i mean you're you're in the point of legal guardians and age and and all but if you're if your parents are your legal guardians and they're not behind you in the transition i would say wait a few years until you're 21 i mean that's what i did that's i mean i waited a lot more than a few few years but i knew um when i was at that age that uh, that sooner or later i was going to transition well that was going to be my suggestion, which is if you can wait, and it's a hard thing to do, if you can wait until you get to college, you're going to find a much more receptive but atmosphere. What about the whole issue of going through puberty, like we were talking about earlier? Well, there's the today, whole medical too. issue. Sure. If you can, um, but chances are, by the time you're in high school, you've already gone through puberty. Right. But, but if, if you, you can, can kind of forestall it, if you can forestall your puberty medically, then that's a good idea. That you should have your parents and med- and a doctor behind you. Um, so you need the the number one thing about transitioning is to build a support network. You you probably need a therapist. I mean, you you certainly need a therapist. I should say a, a therapist. And we're not or saying a, all transgender people need therapists, though. No, but that, you yeah. need what you need. I I treated I I considered my therapist to be my consultant, a, my social consultant, because a therapist is somebody who knows about social about social interactions, and they're expert at that. And so, a therapist can can consult with you, and advise you on what steps to take with the people around you. Um, and for that, you need a therapist. Um, or a helping professional who's had experience with transgender people before. If you can't find one, then you need someone who has experience. And if that means communicating over the Internet with someone with experience, then you got to do that. Uh, but it really makes a big difference to have access to someone with experience. Um, so having your parents behind you having and having them advocate with the school officials on P-flag. your behalf. Okay. And then having somebody somebody with experience. So now Gordine mentions PFAD, the parents and friends and family of lesbians and gays. This is an organization of people who aren't necessarily lesbian, gay, or trans themselves, but they have um, a very they are a very supportive organization, and they do have some expertise. They have some people who are uh, the chances are that they have people who know about transgender issues. And so, if you're having trouble finding the kind of support you need, then PFLAG might be a good source, and you can find them online at pflag.org. Um, and so, they might they have guidelines. I'm sure that they have some kind of guidelines that they can use to advise you. Yes. As a high schooler, um, unfortunately, you are not master of your own destiny. You have to have adults who are behind you. And so you need to encourage 
on the support of adults and really have a team of adults who are going to stand behind you and help you in this transition. Um, I certainly support you transitioning, um, but what you don't want to do, there are some people who try to do it without the support of their parents at an early age, and they end up losing their families. And it can end up, it can cost you your life. You can end up having to do survival work. You can end up in a very bad situation, and it can cost you your life, certainly cost you um, a lot of your life. And so you really want to have people who are working with you. And um, you may have to make compromises. I'm not arguing that you compromise your integrity, but sometimes you have to compromise in terms of what you're able to do, just as all of us have to live uh, with with the resources that we have, and we have to compromise our preferences. We'd all rather be driving Mercedes and and you know watching big screen TVs at home. We'd all like to have all those good things, but we all have to compromise our desires and our needs but every day. And so you're going to have you will have to make you may have to make some compromises, and compromising in order to you, you you compromise on some things in order to get other things you decide what's important and you make trade-offs with the people around you and so you have to negotiate in good faith and um, you have to be an adult you have to be intelligent you have to be smart in um, making the best way you can for yourself and working with the people around you cooperatively to get the best possible outcome for yourself I think television and and uh, Mercedes are luxuries, and some of this is a, a necessity for some folks. That's right, um, but perhaps there are some parts of it that could be done without for a while. If you're in high school, it's only a few more years before you'll be able to go out on your own, and so if you have to put some things off, you figure out which things you need to put off. When any time you're negotiating to get something uh, from the people around you, it's always good. Uh, you, you know, um, to know what you can live with and what you can live without. And you might ask for everything, but you might be willing to compromise on some things in order to make it easier for the people you're negotiating with. The important thing is that you're you're certain that you have a safe environment around you exactly. and secure the support you can. If it's not with your family, see if you can find some folks at PFLAG that can, can help you out and, and give you some kind of advice. And, Adam, we wish you the very best of luck. Yeah. But but leaving your family precipitously and and going out on your own um, is a very, very, very difficult path that we don't advise. Absolutely don't advise that. Get your education. I, um, I don't think Adam was, was asking to, to leave. Uh, no. Yeah. And But I'm saying that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, uh, so good luck with that. Um, I hope that helps. That's that's what we know to say here. Um, I didn't transition in high school, so obviously there are going to be issues with your peers, and you're going to have to come out to your peers. Um, the more confidence you can put forward, the more you can convey that you are okay about who you are. People are going to take your lead in how they regard you. And so the more you can project that what you're doing is healthy and reasonable, the more the people around you will feel that way about it. So that's the most important thing in dealing with the adults and dealing with your peers. Project that you're going to be reasonable about this, that you're being cautious about it, um, and it'll make it easier for the people around you to have confidence in you that you're not doing something self-destructive.
So good luck with that, Adam. We certainly wish you the very best. And that does it for our question of the week. Now, if I can get it together here, and I'm not entirely certain that I can, but we have um, an interview with... Who's our interview with, Gordine? John Kimball. And he's with the North Shore Music Theater. Yes, he's the he's the uh, oh. producer of the the North Shore Theater. That's right. And uh, he he joined us on uh, Gender Talk to talk about their latest production, Jesus Christ uh, Superstar. And it goes something like this. Okay, and we have John Kimball joining us, and John is the uh, theater artistic director and executive producer of the North Shore Music Theater, and currently they are playing the story of Jesus Christ Superstar. A great story with great music. One of my, I think my favorite opera. Well, we're actually going to get to see it. Yeah, so we're 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 really excited about it. Hey, John, welcome to Gender Talk. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, pleasure to have you on the show. Hi, John. And, John, uh, your cast this time includes an openly gay actor, and also you have a, a gay director. <laughs> that's correct. But, you know, that's not so unusual <laughs> for us. I know. We were going to say <laughs> it, it, is, it is musical theater. And, uh, you know, oddly I'm enough, I, I, I'm shocked. I'm absolutely shocked. Uh, in the theater, because of the professional actors' union and the directors' and choreographers' union, the idea of gay, straight, and drawing a definition between the two just really doesn't exist in our profession anymore. It's such a, a sort of a mix of all kinds of people that the whole, uh, you know, we're, we're far more interested in, in inclusion and equality and everybody being treated with respect and all of that. So the idea of, of a gay director, first of all, this is really not unusual at all. Most of them are. Yes. And uh, a gay actor, uh, you know, I'd say 50% of the, if not more, uh, of the actors in the profession are gay. And what about, so it, what about being yeah, openly gay? And, and so oh, yeah. people no, no, no. It, knowing that the, that the performers are gay. I don't think, I mean, the audience may not be aware so much, but certainly those of us who work together, uh, it's not in any way an issue. It's right. Really, quite, quite truly, it's not an issue. I think the audience is probably completely unaware. Uh, or uninterested, we do. Uh, we did start uh, an out night at North Shore Music Theater. About, oh, let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. I think it was about four years ago, uh, and it happens on the third night of a uh, third third Thursday of every musical that we produce, and it has been an extraordinary success. What happens is that um, the gay community uh, is is made aware that the out night is occurring. They can either subscribe to that series or buy single tickets for that night. They come and they see the show. Oftentimes they'll dine with us in our theater restaurant beforehand, and then after the show we have a party up in the restaurant uh, where the cast and crew join us. Oh. And it, we have two to three hundred people there every night wow. that we do this, and it has become uh, just a, a wonderful event. Everybody really enjoys it. 
And when when so, is when is that night for this production of Jesus Christ Superstar? Oh, I was afraid you'd ask. Uh, me it's that. October fifth, I know, because we wanted there to go, go and we're going to be out of town, and As so, so we're coming yeah. earlier. Yeah, unfortunately, I would have loved to have made it. Oh, but, me too. Well, yeah. listen, uh, promise me that you'll join us for one of them for hairspray or for Christmas Carol hairspray? sometime this year. Yeah, I think you'll be really, really pleased to join us, and I'd love to introduce you to some people. All right, well, we'd love to. We'd be really thrilled. All right, we'll try to make hairspray. But, but, but we've been working really hard at the theater to sort of break down the barriers of, of uh, you know, we're trying to develop our audiences, all kinds of audiences, whether they be African-American or uh, some other kind of ethnicity. Is that hard on the North Shore? Is that hard on uh, the North Shore? Well, you, you'd think it would be, but it hasn't been. Maybe I'm just an idiot and don't see it, but I uh-huh. haven't. I haven't gotten any kind of um, uh, pushback from it at all. So I, you know, Massachusetts is a very progressive state. No, but I mean, is it hard? Is it hard to attract the audience? I, I'm, I mean, most of the folks around here are pretty fair-minded, but it also tends to be a very white suburban area. Well, no. I mean, it's 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 amazing. It it actually there are more pockets of ethnicity than you might think. We're going into Lynn. We're going into Haverhill. We're going into lots of other towns. Oh, wonderful! But we you you know we draw from about a fifty mile radius right. in terms of our regular audience. And uh, we I I've spent my whole life in in the theater, and I believe that the theater is one of the one of the art forms that can really break down barriers between people so that they stop looking at each other as something other than uh, something different. You know, part of the problem in the world today is the dehumanizing of people who are unlike yourself. And if, if we can just get everybody, and, and that's a big message in Jesus Christ Superstar, which you'll see when you see it, uh, when, you, when you come and see the production, it's a, it is, I think, the main message. And the show speaks so clearly to all the things that are happening today in terms of Abu Ghraib and what happened there, the, the Geneva Convention, the conversations about should we torture people or not, the whole idea of dehumanizing people so that you you can torture them. All that stuff resonates very loudly with this production. It's uh, it's not a religious show so much as it is about the human condition. Mm-hmm. And Christ is like any kind of, of person who tries to change things, uh, whether it be Che Guevara or Gandhi or Bill Clinton or whoever it is, any leader who's trying to make a difference all of that comes through in this production. That's why I find it so interesting. Well, and, and, and you can't beat the music. I mean, it sounds like there's so there's a significant political content, in, oh, and yeah. it's very yeah. relevant to our lives today. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I would, I would uh, you know, people who think that, oh, that's a Christian musical or that's uh, whatever, it, it isn't that at all. No, it, certainly not. It, it really covers the whole spectrum, and and it rises above any kind of of, of one thing. Or like it, it's not secular at all in any way. Not a, yeah, it's it, it's it's for everyone. Excellent. And and you, the other thing, I truly believe this is one of our finest productions. I've been there twenty three years, and I, I think this is an extraordinary production. In some of the literature for the uh, show, I saw that Mary Magdalene makes an appearance. And is, oh, yeah. is this yeah. in the is this in the original play, or is this something that the the North Shore Music Theater has has put in? 
No, she's always been part of the musical. Uh, we have an Asian actress playing the role. She's extraordinary, and she's just she's so beautiful, and her voice is amazing. Okay. But it, the the people who are looking for it will see Da Vinci Code sort of references. That's what uh, I was wondering. Yeah, we're, we're, we really tried to make this. Uh, I was talking with the director Robert Johansson, who's just brilliant. And he said he makes it about 70% biblical, 15% modern, because it really goes back and forth from today to biblical times, and 15% cosmic. Uh, it, 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 it's, you'll see when, when you see it, it's, it's, he's, he's managed to tell a story that is so familiar to so many people and surprise us with it. Wonderful. Where can people um, find out more about the production? I think yeah, we have a wonderful video clip on our website. Oh. So go to nsmt.org, click on the video clip, and you'll see a little bit of the show, about three minutes of it. NSMT, as in North Shore Music Theater. Dot org. Dot org. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And what, so the show is running now? Yes, it's running now. It goes until, let's see, I think it's the 9th. Whatever that Sunday, fifth, sixth, seventh, I think it's the eighth. One of the early Sundays on, on October eighth, the Sunday. Okay, and the North Shore Music Theater is a is is it true that it's a nonprofit organization? Absolutely, we're completely nonprofit <laughs> more than we like. Yeah, yeah well, we, we can understand we, that. <laughs> we have a, a marvelous education program that reaches about a hundred thousand young people every year. Uh, we develop the art form. We do an awful lot in terms of, of developing new musicals. So, yeah, we are completely nonprofit and uh, one of the oldest and largest uh, theaters in the country, actually. John, if there's someone that can't afford to see the production, do you, do you have anything for, for people that, that can't pay the price of the tickets ever? We have rush tickets. We have we we actually contribute something in the neighborhood of six thousand tickets a year to various agencies, uh, uh, nonprofit groups, whatever. So they, they, we really don't turn anybody away. Wonderful. If anybody wants to see the show, there are ways for them to to get there. All right. Well, well, John Kimball, thank you so much for being our guest on Gender Talk for your work. And uh, we're certainly looking forward to seeing it, and I'm sure lots of other folks around the Boston area are as well. And we'll see you well, some third it, Thursday. Yes, that's right. Yep, yep, it's been a real pleasure, and do come to the out night. I, I think you'll really be pleased. Oh, well, we're not going to miss it. We will be there soon. Definitely will. Okay. All righty, take care now. Thanks again. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Good night. All right, and that was our interview with John Kimball that we recorded earlier today. And now we have our first guest on the phone. Well, I, I'm thrilled to say we have Jennifer Abid joining us tonight. And Jennifer is an award-winning feminist media producer. In 2002, uh, she released the uh, video, The Edge of Each Other's Battles, The Vision of Audre Lorde. And this was her first feature video. And just recently, she released uh, The Old Women's project and jennifer has been a professor a co-founder and singer of the new haven women's liberation rock band a co-writer of the first feminist radio soap opera and she hosted and produced programs on community public and commercial radio in new haven philadelphia and boston for nearly 20 years 
and she was also the first woman in Connecticut to host a nightly AM radio talk program, the Jennifer Abid Show. And uh, she's also the founder of Profile Productions that produces and distributes media featuring feminist activists and cultural workers, particularly women of color and lesbians. Boy, you're really a pioneer there, aren't you? <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, my, my last name, which I know you've had trouble with, as as everybody has um, all my life, is Abbott. Abbott, forgive me. Accent okay. on the first it, You know, it, it, it's one of those Ellis Island things. You know. Oh, is it? Right. Okay. It, it was Obadowski. Ah, uh, like my my grandmother's last name actually got got mutilated there too. What was hers? Uh, we think that it was Gordinsky, and uh, they changed uh, it to Gordon. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, we, we, we ours was Obed Obedowski, which is you know I like Abbott. I like Abedowski. Yeah. I, I actually thought when I got my PhD, I would change it so I'd be Jennifer Abedowski. Oh, there but, you go. You know, but I didn't do it. Oh, well, I, I I totally hear you. Okay, so forgive me. And I, I will get that right here on okay. in. Okay, um, Jennifer. Now, who am I? I'm talking. There's Nancy and I'm Gordine. Gordine. Okay. I, I, I'm Nancy. Hi, Nancy. And we've also on the phone. We've got Hal, who does our Twisted Nasty News, and Hal's there out there. Say hi, uh, Hal. Hello. Hi, Hal. They got our voices All right. there. Okay. What what inspired you to do your your most recent project? Okay, Look the, us in the eye, right. the old women's project. Right. Look us in the eye, the old women's project. Well, first of all, let me just say that Look us in the eye um, is uh, from a book uh, that Barbara McDonald wrote called Look Me in the Eye, mm. and uh, the book was about ageism and activism in the women's movement. And it was a really important film. As a matter of fact, Ms. Magazine claimed it one of the most, one of the important, really important books of second wave feminism. Barbara McDonald um, is no longer alive. She died at the age of 86 um, in 2000. But uh, Barbara McDonald um, was partners with Cynthia Rich. And they had a, they had this long term lesbian relationship for I, I think it was about twenty four years, mm-hmm. and we were friends. My my partner and I, Angela uh, Bowen, and I were friends with Cynthia um, um, through Barbara McDonald, and I met Barbara McDonald and I met Cynthia through my partner Angela, and when Barbara died. Um, she had been always the person to talk about ageism in every situation. Um, and uh, when when she died, Cynthia, her her partner, Cynthia Rich, um, who lives in San Diego, was who is active in the political community of San Diego mm-hmm. and great friends with two other women in San Diego. They decided that they really needed to do uh, form a group that specifically dealt with the issue of age and ageism. They had all, they had been they had been activists for a very long time, you know, dealing with anti-war stuff and uh, feminist stuff and um, uh, poverty stuff and all kinds of stuff from when they were young young women. Women. But they 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 decided that they felt like we were they were pretty invisible as old women. That the issue of being old and ageism was really important. And when Barbara died, it felt they felt as though that they had left the mantle for them to pick up. So they decided to form their own group called the Old Women's Project. 
So the title of the, fi- of the film, Look Us in the Eye, uh, The Old Woman's Project, is this combination of the title from Barbara's book and also the name of the group, which is The Old Woman's Project. And the reason why I was inspired to do it is because my partner, Angela, who's a professor uh, at Cal State Long Beach of Women's Studies, invited Cynthia to come and speak to the students about ageism and activism. And I went to hear her. I'm not only a friend, but as a documentarian, I was very interested to, 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 to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to see it. Um, I didn't go with the camera or anything, and I, I just went there and watched uh, the, the students just were fascinated. They were moved. They were stimulated. They had never thought about ageism as an, as a, an aspect of sexism. Mm-hmm. First of all, they never thought about that, and were really unaware of the of the concept of of ageism and what impact it had on them as young women, and also on the old women that they knew. And I was just about to turn sixty. I was a couple of years at that time shy of sixty, and I had begun thinking about age aging as opposed to sure. age, ageism. Well, and that's an important distinction. And yeah. you start you actually start the film out with a quote, if I recall, uh, from Barbara McDonald that makes the distinction between the two. Would you uh, share that with us? Well, aging is a natural phenomenon. It's a biological thing that happens to all of us. But ageism is, an, is, is oppression. It, it's, a, it's a form of prejudice. It's a, it's a form of stereotype and everything else. It's like in terms of you know racism and sexism and ageism. In other words, it's something that happens to us uh, as a result of a, a natural biological function that's not very good that has an economic impact um and a social impact and and it's something we all have all have to look forward to yeah right 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 right. uh as a matter of fact one of the women in the film who was uh uh, when she got with the group she wasn't in her she wasn't 60 yet and and she was a couple years before 60 and but she was excited to be be, to turn 60 because oh boy she really was going to be able to deal with ageism and what's interesting about it is that, you know, I didn't quite understand what it, what she meant, but I understand what she meant because early, and I was one of the early, in the early feminist movement, right, uh, early second wave. Second wave, yeah. Yeah, sir, 69, and, um, and, you know, at the time there really wasn't even a word for for sexism. The, the word sexism didn't exist. I mean, it's just, you know, hard to believe, but uh, sexism, di- it didn't exist. We were in a state of consciousness raising about what that meant and what the impact of what it was on our lives. The word ageism, I think, has, at this point in our lives, is at that low level of consciousness in this culture. Certainly, aging, <laughs> you know, is an economic boon. Right? right. I mean, there's everything out there. Right. I mean, you know, anti-aging this and anti-aging that, and Botox and, you know, everything that tells us that the the worst thing that you possibly could be is old, and the worst thing that you could possibly do is claim that word old. You know, old. Particularly if you're a woman who yes. everything hinges on the way that you look. Yep. And so, yeah, as as women age, then. They they disappear. I saw that so much with my with my mom. Mm. I remember going into to stores with my uh, mother, and at one point people began to address me 
instead of her oh, yeah. because she was she was completely invisible so that one of one of the things that we see is we see an invisibility but we yes. also see uh what patronizing and oh, yeah. trivialization yep. uh, of older women too and even people who have the best of intentions because i think you said something very important jennifer you said that that thinking about this and 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 really talking about it and people's awareness of it is really at the uh, at a very early yeah. stage, and so in terms of educating people about it, one of the things that I found even from the old women's uh, project was just looking at uh, the language yes. that how we talk exactly. about uh, older women and why why that may not be good. And some people that might have good intentions, you know, saying, "Oh, isn't she cute?" or feisty or you know spry that all all of these terms are are not really complementary terms well they, well they don't allow you to claim the age that you are yep. or to claim the, uh, the 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 power that's and uh, that's the, important the strength the intelligence the wisdom that's right for yourself i mean not for other people necessarily but you know you've been through something and it's worth something that's especially right. but as for for men it, it's great you know i'm the only thing I have in common with George Bush is that we're the same age. Oh, I okay. Hear you. Yeah. All right. Now, but but can you imagine some? So so you know what what's happening to me now is you know I just I, like I said just turned sixty. Is people are starting to call me young lady oh, at the yeah. age of sixty. Now I wasn't a young lady when I could have been, which was like nineteen or twenty. Sure. I was a feminist. I was a uh-huh. young woman, anyhow, and nobody could get away with that word for me. So you know, lady, you know, the lady of the house, sure. you know, um, all of that stuff. But so it, it it it's like they're embarrassed to kind of respect you for who you are uh, as a person or see you as an equal. So they have to kind of like you know, it's like they're supposed. I think that they think it's a compliment I, to yeah, call I me th- a young lady. I think they're. I think yeah. I think it's condescending and it's it's a pres- it's presuming that you're distressed about age. And the, and that you will take it as a compliment. Exactly. And, and so they're they're negating your whole life experience. You know, I'm I'm working on um, a book right now about a uh, cowgirl in the mm. southwest that's 88 years old, mm. and she is an incredibly powerful uh, woman mm-hmm. whose very gaze confronts you. Yep. And if someone said to her, "Young lady," or said <laughs> something like, "Young lady," well, I think with her her big western hat and things i don't i don't know if they would do that but it's a it's a horrible sort of demeaning thing that throws you back on feeling ashamed for being the age that you are right and and that's very oppressive yeah and but you know but you know it, it, it like i said in the early days of feminism you know the word girl was really negative right sure. I mean, we've we've changed that we've girl reclaimed. power and all that stuff. Girlfriend, right? Yeah. Girlfriend. So um, it's 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 really, it, and not only that, but it, it's reflected itself in in what we give to girls, what we expect of them, what we yes. provide for them in terms of their growth and development. So that the word old for the old women's project, the reason why they use the word old is because they want to claim all of the variations of what that means to be. In other words, the, the, the little old lady stereotype, you know, or, sure. um, you know, the, whatever stereotypes you have about old, um, you know, uh, throw away, whatever they are, the, the, the word old has to be redefined, and we have to see and hear from a lot more old women. I, I You know, any any 
any if we had anyhow i'm not going to go off on that but yeah. the thing is that's what the film tries to do well and i think i think that, that that it's very successful in the sense of it it really gets you to think about the term old and something that stuck with me from the film was one of and these are activist women that oh, yeah. are you know have been activists all their lives and so they're involved in a lot of different social justice causes and right. and they organize a lot of uh, a lot of yes. those causes and one thing that that really moved me was when one of the women said that she'd been working with a a young man and they had been you know uh doing doing protests and and activism and she ran into him i i think in a coffee shop or something yep and they they had a good conversation they were talking and then he uh when they were leaving he said to her you know i'm so glad that you're still around something something like still, that i'm i'm so glad you're still up and around yeah or or i've heard the other thing i hear well you're still kicking yes. you know and what does that mean? Right. I mean, it's not, you know, yeah. if, 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 if you kind of put, I don't want to put men in there in this particular conversation, but, there's, yeah. you know, if you're talking to somebody like uh, who, who you know, is a head of a corporation or a president or, you know, somebody, a professor sure. or something like that, there's no way that you would do that kind of insult. Yeah. But that somehow it's it's it, it it's acceptable again, you know, if it, if it's, it happens to be a woman, um, and it it's part of the relationship between sexism and ageism because it it, it if, if women don't have power in this culture, then it's it it they have even they think that it, women have even less power when they get older, and economically that's that that happens to be you know unfortunately too true for too many of us. And, and because, that's important, you know, to because understand. economically right because sexism plays its role from a very young age women are paid less than men that means that women are many women are going to unless you know they marry very rich guys or they're or or of course there are not now more wealthy women than before but in general and not only in general i can give you some statistics but that if women are the poorest members uh, of our society along with single women who are children old women are the poorest members of our society along with Many of the single women with the children, yeah. and we don't get poor. We're not we're not poor because it, we're poor because we aren't necessarily paid for our for our work. So you, so it, it's a very it, it has implications. Well, when you make less money over the course of a lifetime, when you're making three quarters for the equivalent work, and of course doing lots of unpaid work over the course of a lifetime, that really affects your bottom line. That really affects whether or not you're able to accumulate savings. To live on. Yeah, and that and that really um, is uh, um, is reflected also in racial stuff too. Because Very I mean, important. you know, oh, yeah. right? I mean, Latin women um, have generally have no savings, um, and I mean, there's all these statistics. You know, black women have more than Latin women, but I mean, it's like it's but it's still it, less it, than it's, white women. Yes. So you're you're affected certainly uh, also based on on race and yeah. and some of those stereotypes. I was I was horrified to see some of the ways and and you include this in your film that uh, older women are mocked in advertising. Oh. All over the place. It was horrible. There was, uh, I think, there was one ad for a bag, a camera bag, where so it was. A, it was a purse. Yeah, it's a purse, and and uh, the purse was. Uh, if you're tired, what is it? You t oh, I can't remember it myself, but it was about um, seen enough old bags. Seen enough with. old bags, and there's a picture of five old women. Yes. In, uh, yeah. 
drinky tea and very stereotypical. It says, try a new face. And then there is another one where it shows the body of an older woman in, in kind of uh, uh, purple lingerie and no head or anything else, uh, right. just a torso. And it says, the old bag you'll actually love. That's and right. it shows a camera case like nobody could really love an older exactly woman right. or an older body. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. It's just... And those were just a few of them, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and even magazines that you expect to be somewhat progressive, like the New Yorker, uh, had uh, had uh, covers of the magazine that yeah. were blatantly uh, sexist and, and, and ageist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is some progress on this. There was an ad that I saw once featuring an old cowgirl. Mm. In fact, he was talking about, you know, I'll take out insurance because I'll be old someday. Oh, good. But not now. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, we're all, uh, we, they have a great T-shirt called, um, and, I mean, not it's now a T-shirt. No, they did have a T-shirt. Yeah, they have a T-shirt. Now we have an even better looking T-shirt. It's called, and they have it, uh, Old Women Are Your Future. I like yes. that. We and should all wear one. I, I love it. I, you know, when I wear the T-shirt, I have great conversations with people because that, uh, there are people who are aware about how um, ageist uh, the society is, how the old people are thrown away or thrown around. I had a conversation with a guy when I was in, where was I? I guess it was in San Francisco or something, Oakland or something, and I went into a store, was wearing my T-shirt, and he was a... Uh, I, I think he you know, he's from Mexico, and he was saying the thing about the, this culture, and even in Mexico that he hates, is the way that people are so disregarded if they're old people. So, And he loves to have parties. So he said to me, when I have a party, I always go around into the village where I live and invite the old people to the party. Because one of the complaints that I heard, and this is a complaint, I mean, it's not just a, it's a, an analysis, but it, it, for personally, um, is that uh, they're isolated, that old people are isolated, so that sometimes they're the only, they're the oldest person at the party, or they're invited because they're the oldest person at the party in a very tokenizing way, you know, mm, the, the yeah. only Native American, the only sure. black person, the only old person, um, that the that in our social lives you know what you know um what are what do we have a variety of people with across ages that are coming to the social events that we have do we go out to to the movies with old people just you know not necessarily our family members but people who who are who are friends people who are our you know our equals uh, we enjoy their company and i think barbara mcdonald made the point is that young women are so afraid to be old that they're on some level afraid to be seen with them you know it seems to be a fundamental characteristic of our western culture uh the culture that we, we displaced on this continent the native american culture was one that uh, honored its elders and respected the wisdom of their elders and our culture um, seems to be one that has a kind of inbred self-hatred such that um, we uh, don't respect our elders because they're just us old well you know what the point the point that the women make in the film which is quite wonderful actually is that um, you know, you you want to be respected for who you are as a person. You don't necessarily get respect just because you're old. You know that 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 doesn't necessarily e- uh, offer us equality. Right. In other words, in other words, if I'm thirty, if I'm thirty-five years old, if I'm thirty-five years old, you're going to evaluate me as a human being, right? You're going to respect me or not respect me in terms of who I am, and old 
women, the women in the Old Women's Project are saying the exact same thing. Don't put me up on a pedestal. You know, you know, the, hello? Uh, yeah, we're uh, still yeah, here. You know, the old person may be, you know, a jerk. You know, I mean, the, the, the automatic... You know, that's exactly exactly. what, you know, unearned privilege is. That's what we're talking about in terms of sexism. That all of a sudden, if you know, if you walk around with a male body, you have unearned privilege. Well, if you walk around in an old body, you don't, you know, you don't have to have unearned respect because then once again, it's distance, it's it's dehumanizing. In other words, it's it's distancing you from who you are. So there's a, if the tenant, the issue is, you're, you're old, and now who are you as a human being? But our culture is one that worships youth. Yes, and, that's and important, our consumer culture. Yeah, that's right, because our capitalist culture uses images of youth to sell product. Yep. And so Fear of aging. That's right, and so we, we end up worshiping youth, and so we don't... I mean, I, w- I would never argue that we should, um, you know, revere people because they're elders, but it would be nice to live in a society sufficiently functional that those elders who had accumulated wisdom could then be respected for that wisdom and could be um, accorded positions of respect wherein they could put that wisdom to good use. Not only respect, but power. I mean, that's the piece of it. You know, that there are the old people in this culture that have power are old men and they're old white men. And you see them on the front pages of the newspaper every single day. That's you see right. them on the television, you see them all over the place. They're heads of corporations, they're heads of, you know, they're presidents. They're, they're the same age as other old, as old women, but the level of the, the, the you know, the, the, the imbalance of power. You know, what makes, you know, that, that's the piece of it that I just feel like, oh, come on, somebody's got to really <laughs> write about this, yeah. you know, do something mm-hmm. about this, you know. I mean, it's just infuriating, and it's got to Well, and and, uh, increasing awareness, consciousness raising, which certainly your film does, is is certainly a step in the right direction to to really start thinking about how old women in particular are marginalized. Now, unfortunately, we're we're almost out of time, and I wanted to ask you about a new project that you're working on. Oh, well, my new project is called uh, the Angela Bowen's Passionate Pursuits. Oh. Uh, and this is the this is really this it's a story of um a black woman who um um oh, how do I say this she's a professor at a university um and she started out um in Boston as a as a child um um and it's it's a life of of art and politics she oh. was a classical ballerina at the uh, a black classical ballerina at a time when there was a uh, an uh, unwritten but practiced policy on Broadway called No Blacks on Broadway. Mm. Is before Alvin Ailey? Um, that's right. It was before Alvin Ailey. And um, although Alvin Ailey, um, she actually became a, 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 not only a, a dancer and eventually went to Europe because that's where blacks went to, black performers went um, to Europe to perform because they didn't, they couldn't perform here, you know, in New York and whatever. Um, and um, she. She she did that. Um, so it's her it's her life story, but it's about it's about passionate politics and being and claiming all the pieces of who you are. Um, um, she's an out lesbian within the academy. She's black. 
um, um, she was an artist, and she's really smart. Um, and how she's used all of those things over the over the years, and in three different careers, is is pretty interesting. But it also flow, follows the the different history historical periods of time: civil rights movement, the Black Arts movement, the feminist movement, the lesbian and gay movement, um, and um, also moving into women's studies. So it's a it's a historic and artistic. Um, um, flow. <laughs> of well, woman. We're certainly certainly looking forward to yeah, seeing that. It sounds like and, a fascinating and subject. Based on uh, our experience in in looking at the uh, piece that you did on Audrey Lorre, right. which, I, which I thoroughly enjoyed, that, very yeah. nice piece that of work, very right. powerful piece. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you. Where can people find out more about the projects that you're working on? Well, it's really simple if they can remember my name, because okay. um, uh, it's www.jenniferabbott.com. And spell Abbott, if you will. A- A-B-O-D. Great. Um, but also, if they look up Audre Lorde, um, the, my film is really associated with Audre Lorde. It's called, uh, you know, The Edge of Each Other's Battles, The Vision of Audre Lorde, or Profile Productions. Um, but um, it's www.jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, abid, A-B-O-D, dot com. And, you know, it's, it's uh, stuff about all the films are there. And some great T-shirts are, um, are on the website as well. Wonderful. And we'll provide a link so that people can just click oh, on it. Oh, that folks would be are great. Online. Oh, for yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. We do that for all our guests, Jennifer. <laughs> oh, wow, that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, we appreciate the, the work that you're doing and the dedication that you bring to your work, and uh, it's uh, an activist form of video, yes. and it's a way that we can all make change, and, and we wish you the very, very best. Well, I wish you the best, too. It's not easy to carry on doing radio uh, a radio <laughs> program, and I'm so delighted that you're doing radio and that you're doing this these kinds of conversations i uh, are you guys on the web so I can hear your program? Yes, we are. Gendertalk.com. And uh, okay. we've been doing this for 12 years, and I believe that you are our last guest. Okay. You, you oh. and one other guest, we're, we're, taking, we're taking off for a while to do some other projects. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we have one more program, and we're not going to have guests. What was that, Hal? Said I thought we weren't going to do that. <laughs> no, wow. I know. I just had to do well, it. Well, I, I, mean, I know you have to move on. I, I did radio for nearly 20 years. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's wonderful, but... But you do you know, other projects. You gotta, you gotta keep moving on. That's so. right. And Jennifer, you haven't lost the touch. Thanks so much. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you, Jennifer. Good night. All right. So Jennifer Abbott, wonderful, terrific woman, doing She's great rocking. work, and uh, did a good job here. Let me uh, let's move on and do some announcements because uh, um, while Gardine gets us our other guest, I'll tell you about what's coming up. And uh, let's see. First of all, um, tomorrow in uh, Boston is a Transgender Day of Remembrance planning meeting tomorrow at 3 p.m. at AIDS Action in Boston. That's on Washington Street. It's between Downtown Crossing and Border and uh, excuse me, the the old State House. It's right across the street from Borders Books. If you want to come to this meeting, just be there at three o'clock. Um, buzz the door if it's locked. Tell the um, security person you're there for the tra- for the Trans Day of Remembrance meeting. Um, it's on the fifth floor. 
and he will let you in and let, and let you head on up. So, again, the Transgender Day of Remembrance planning meeting for the Boston event, the Transgender Day of Remembrance this year in Boston, will be observed on November 19th. That's a Sunday. And we're also going to be having a Massachusetts Transgender Political Coalition town hall meeting uh, in the afternoon like we did last year. One, It was a very, very successful um, event. The double event worked really well. Everybody had a great time. We had a great turnout, and we're looking forward to doing um, the same and better this year. So we're going to get a little bit earlier start. Join us there tomorrow. Uh, let's see. What else have I got here on the calendar? Um, I need to tell you about, of course, we've told you about the Fantasia Fair that's happening in a few weeks. Uh, we've told you about um, the International Drag King Extravaganza in Austin. IDKEAustin.com is the place to go to hear about that. That's happening in uh, October the 19th through the 22nd. In Louisville, Kentucky, uh, October 18th through the 22nd is the Trans Sisters and Trans Brothers Conference, a conference whose purpose is to uplift African-American trans people, challenge the negative stereotypes about us, and build a unified AA trans community. For more information, go to transfamilydefyinggravity.net or go to the Gender Talk website, of course, and click on the calendar. Now, also coming up in October, the Transcending Boundaries and PFLAG's Northeast Regional Conference, a collaborative conference for bisexual, pansexual, trans, and genderqueer, intersex people, friends, family, partners, and allies of GLBTIQ persons. And this is all happening in Worcester at the DCU Center, October 27th to 29th. For more information, you can phone, you can email transcendingboundaries at gmail.com. You can phone Roberta. Barry at 603 352 6854. That's 603 352 6854. Or go to, go to www.transcendingboundaries.org. And uh, coming up on October 13th to 15th on the West Coast Circles, are a retreat conference for all transgender, gender queer, gender questioning folks and partners and allies. This is held at Manzanita Village. In at Warner Springs, California, um, and uh, let's see, it's a small gathering, usually no more than 15 to 25 participants, part conference, part retreat, a time to relax in an informal atmosphere on the breathtakingly beautiful land at Manzanita Village. Uh, for more information, uh, let's see, you can go to manzanitavillage.org and uh, look for the Circles event. And uh, uh, let's see, I don't think that's on our website yet. That was one that I received by email. Um, also, in Massachusetts, as you've probably heard me mention here on Gender Talk, there is an effort underway to, uh, at some point in the near future, to introduce legislation to outlaw discrimination in the workplace against people based on gender identity and expression. In order to make that legislation happen, we need your stories of discrimination, harassment, or positive stories um, of positive things that have happened to you around being trans in Massachusetts. Um, please share your story with us. You can tell your story by going to MassTPC, as in Massachusetts Transgender Political Coalition, MassTPC.org, 
And right near the top, under the word Massachusetts, it says, tell your story. Click on that, and we've got three separate forms there, um, depending on what kind of a story you have to tell, where you can tell us our story so we can use that, so we can move forward and make Massachusetts um, one more state that outlaws discrimination on the basis of gender identity and expression in employment, as well as providing hate crimes coverage. So uh, please do that. Massachusetts Transgender Political Coalition will put your story to good use. You can be completely anonymous, um, or you can have your name used, uh, whichever you prefer. Uh, and I think that does it for our announcements tonight. If you have an event, we'll have one more week of announcements. Um, get it on the Gender Talk calendar. And the Gender Talk calendar will continue. So you can find out what's going on by going to gendertalk.com, clicking on calendar, and checking out events on the calendar there. Please post your events there if you want a community of Gender Talk visitors and listeners. And we're going to continue the Gender Talk website. We'll have weekly uh, updates and content there. We'll have articles and who knows what what's in store. Uh, you'll find out. It's all gonna, but 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 we certainly are gonna continue that, and uh, the gender talk calendar will continue. I will be maintaining it, and um, I'll be looking for you to keep adding your events, and we'll keep that running. That does it for our announcements, and now it's time for our second guest. So, Gordine, who is our next guest? Wait, wait, I'm sorry. Try it now. Okay, we have uh, Chris Abani joining us. And Chris is an award-winning author, and I should say a pretty prolific author. Uh, He has a new book that's going to be released in 2007, The Virgin of Flames. Uh, He's written Masters of the Board, Becoming Abigail, Hands Washing Water, Dog Woman, Daphne's Lot, and Calicuta. And I may be saying that wrong. You you could correct me there, uh, Chris. Republic. And uh, he's also a professor. Chris was imprisoned, tortured, and sentenced to death for his literary activities. And after fleeing Nigeria, he continued to write poetry and fictions. Hands Washing Water, which we're going to be talking about tonight, is his fourth poetry collection and is a book of subversive humor, exile, and ancestry that expands beyond personal history to envision a greater compassion. Uh, Abani once said in an interview, if there is nothing at risk, it cannot be art. Welcome to Gender Talk, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Oh, well, uh, Chris, the the book is uh, is very uh, profound and and touches very deep subjects from from ancestry to to all kinds of things and and suffering. Are you are you there? I'm here. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm actually. This is technology is amazing. I'm in. Uh, I'm in New York on a street. Sorry. Oh, you're on a street in New York. Okay. <laughs> Maybe you can find a quiet corner or something. I'm yeah. doing my best. All right. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you, Chris. you so much, um, Chris. Uh, tell us a little bit about the inspiration for hands washing water and uh, what what you what you're doing there. Um, well, basically. Um, Written a lot of a lot of books exploring uh, my personal history, my family's history. Uh, Calicutra Republic was a book about my time as a political prisoner, and Daphne's Lot was um, 
is a story about my mother, who's a white English woman, and and sort of uh, raising us in in Nigeria and, and meeting my father in Oxford and, and dealing with the Biafran Nigerian Civil War. So those two books are largely about me and my family. And with um, Dog Woman was my first attempt in many ways, as a poet anyway, to try and expand into a greater imagination or a greater uh, project of compassion for our and, and it's, it, was, it was a book about five women who had been murdered by men at different points in history. But this new book, Hands Wash and Water, is something like that, but very different. Uh, I, I like to think of it as more intimate, as more, uh, more about vulnerability and my limitation and my struggle to, to find uh, a center of love um, and not in, not in a sentimental way or even in a political way, which uh, was a lot about that in Dog Woman, but simply in this, in sort of in a primordial, almost uh, deep bone way mm-hmm. that, that says this is how we must be in the world if, if the world is to survive and if we are to truly become human beings. So that's sort of the inspiration from the book, and it, it charts many landscapes uh, starting from the exterior, moving through... To my favorite part of the book, which is a, a long poem in letters called Buffalo Women, and yes. then ends in, in shorter, more personal lyrics. So it's, it's really, yeah, it's a very different book than anything I've done before. Totally, totally understand you. And, and uh, Chris, you were imprisoned in, in Nigeria because, because of your writing? Because of my writing, yes. Well, um, but you know, it, you know, the thing is, I mean, it was a whole generation of us. What had happened is that I'd written my first novel at 16, mm-hmm. Masters of the Board, which uh, in itself wasn't really a problem because I wasn't politically. It was a book about neo-Nazis taking over Nigeria. Mm-hmm. the Fourth Reich. But what happened was that uh, a general used it as a blueprint for a coup, and that resulted in my initial arrest. Oh, my goodness. Oh. So it was more an accident in a way um, but once having experience, uh, I couldn't sort of not get involved. And when I began to get involved, um, as all recent <laughs> converts do, you think you're the only one who thinks this way, only to find there was a whole generation of people my age, mostly college students, who were engaged already in this uh, civil unrest um, and protest against this uh, military dictatorship in Nigeria and, and institutionalized poverty and, 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 and uh, violence in a way. Did, did you feel any sense of responsibility for what had happened? That must have been um, horrifying for you to see them use your work in that way. Um, and, no, I didn't initially um, b- because, you know, when the book was written, there was none of that intent in mind. Um, and I, I, you know, knowing the way civil, uh, the military dictatorships worked, one doesn't even know if there really was a coup or if someone was set up for it. Um, but, um, you know, a writer writes, um, I don't, I mean, I try to be, uh, to have integrity and to have um, a deep sort of sense of questioning with my work. But once it enters the public imagination, um, I have very little control over it in that sense. Yeah, I, I totally hear you when you say that. And recently, you were a writer in residence, weren't you, uh, at MIT? And you've been a writer in residence in, in many other universities. Yes, I, I was just. Uh, in fact, I just left MIT this weekend. I was a writer in residence there, um, 
an amazing first time in Boston and, and certainly my first time in MIT and richly rewarding, richly rewarding. And what what do you do when you when you're a writer in residence? Are you working with with young writers or? Uh, yes. Well, usually uh, part of it is a public uh, a public reading that uh, I do that's open to everyone who lives in the in the larger community, mm-hmm. um, and that's usually followed by a question and answer. And you know, some of the topics in my book are, to put it mildly, controversial. <laughs> and, and tell us about those. Well, like uh, my most, uh, well, with becoming Abigail, you have a, a young 15-year-old girl who's been abused and has been trafficked into sexual slavery, and yes. sort of it, it sort of charts her resistance to it, but um, in, a, in, a, in a very different way than most books would do, because it writes it almost entirely from trying to be inside the young girl's persona uh, or body, um, and it covers a lot of things, including how the ways in which um, trauma and the, the rationalization of trauma within the larger societies we live in often, as it's looked out over the terrain of young women, often leads to some very difficult, difficult repercussions for the young women. And in this book, she, um, she burns stories of her dead mother onto her skin and uh, cuts her skin in, in ways as though she was trying to carve herself into being on her own body and, and so it was trying to cover a lot of the difficulties uh, associated with growing in this way and the book has a rather unexpected ending uh, a choice she makes I think from love but which uh, a lot of people can't seem to to see and so you know and then a new book that comes out is about um, a man, uh, a biracial man in Los Angeles who wants to be a woman and he's so deeply, not even deeply homophobic, as he's deeply uh, unsure about what this means. And Pana takes it, and he blacks out. And during these blackouts, he dresses up as the Virgin Mary oh. and appears in abandoned sites all over East Los Angeles, prompting massive pilgrimages into the city uh, because people think it's a, a real apparition of the Virgin. Interesting. Um, and his muse is a transsexual stripper, and it, it's it's about love and identity and and the Los Angeles River. So it's not the kinds of things people often expect from a straight black <laughs> And the questions, of, the, the questions and my responses to them, I'm always very frank, and it unsettles people, I think, so... And why do you write about such subjects then? This is, I mean, this is not what one would expect from a straight black man. Um, I, I want to say that um, that is because I'm trying to to tackle subjects that are often taboo. Uh, but I think that the truth is that I'm humbled by the subjects that choose me, and that I feel that oftentimes these subjects come to me, and when I write. I am really to explore my own becoming, who I am, how I became straight, because, you know, heterosexuality is never questioned. It's such a normative. And what that means to me and and what it what 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 would happen to me if I were placed in in an extreme situation. So I write to find my own humanity and, and in the process I hope I find the humanity not just of these characters but um I'm able to create a mirror for other people to find their own humanity 
um, in a non-judgmental way. And, and that's partly why the work is difficult, because it's not spectacle. It, it never comes as a work from the exterior. It always comes at it from the interior. Mm -hmm. um, um, you know... Um, Sounds like the best possible reason to be doing it. Yeah, uh, it's it's, and I, you know, sometimes I rebel against the, the characters because, particularly when I was writing *The Virgin of Flames*, because I had to face my own prejudices. You know, uh, we live in, when you're not an intellectual, um, living in in a sort of context, it is very easy to um, to process mentally and with an academic distance. Uh, subjects like homosexuality or the kind of otherness, uh, including sexism, and, and to think that none of these, you have none of the negative strains of um, such things. And the truth is, when you begin to confront it in a book, you, you run upon it in a, in a very visceral way. And, and um, I'm always shocked and, and uh, ashamed sometimes of my own limitation. And I think it's Sometimes the books are to trans to to transubstantiate my limitation into possibility. You know, I, I remember, and I'm thinking about my childhood. I was a very precocious child and grew up in a very intellectually privileged home, and read Jean when I was very young, and I read Another Country when I was nine years old. I remember even then being completely transfixed by this book, which you know partly deals with issues of homosexuality from a black man's point of view. But coming to the end, I'm thinking that you know, James is almost saying that, that this is an incidental part of the book. The book is about love, and yes. that James is saying that there's a perversion in the world, and that is the absence of love. And not, not in a sentimental, hard kind of way, but in a deep, bone, true way that, that, that you know, that used to make us... At all to strangers in a storm hundreds of years ago, which we've lost, which we've truly, truly lost. That, uh, that, that's very, very well said. And and you talk about that internal process, uh, Chris, and has that been with you all your life? You talked about writing your first novel when you were 16. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I wrote my first story that got published at 10, and it, it got entered into a competition for 18-year-olds and won and was published in a local paper, uh, mm. state paper. And I remember going to the Imperial World and I was I'm very, I'm a very big man and I was a very plump, round, basketball -like child. And I remember the looks and the faces of the audience as they sort of bounced down the aisle of my award and I'm thinking, my God, you know, um, words can, they can, trans can transform and being completely drawn to that. Yes. And it's also closely tied up with my own spiritual searches, too. I'd be, I was raised Catholic, I went to seminary to be a priest, and I got picked out very young, and I've been all, you know, sort of explored almost every faith there is, um, searching for this ineffableness, trying to, to make sense of myself. And so I think all of my work is about that. Oh, definitely. So do you have advice for young writers at all, Chris? That are yeah. that are struggling. What what would you tell them? Um, the first thing I would say to anyone who wants to write is to read a lot. Um, I teach writing, and you by how many young people want to write but don't want to read. I totally hear you there. Yeah. Um, and I would say read everything. We read, read cultural theory. Read the Bible. Read the Bhagavad Gita. Read read quantum physics. Read novels. Read yeah. theory. Yeah. And it's teach, it takes the whole world in. 
and 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 be transform, allow it to transform you, and and try to live an engaged life, like knowing why you buy the clothes you buy or the music you listen to, and not just buy because you know just just to be in touch with your own thinking, and then to write, write from the deepest place, write write as though no one would ever read what you were going to write, and and then rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it until until it acquires this exquisite resonance and then let it out into uh, that that's certainly good advice because uh, I think reading and uh, using that as kind of a launch to or an inspiration to kind of get your own juices flowing is is absolutely essential and I, I like that advice too in terms of write like no one's ever going to read it yeah yeah yeah, yeah that, that's great and uh, when is the new book going to be out well, hand washing water is actually out and available, and um, um, no bias, but I highly recommend it. <laughs> I, I certainly do too, and it, and it's very beautiful. Uh, you you have that beautiful poem, Buffalo Women, in there, and I'd asked you if you might read for us, but you're standing on the streets of New York without a book, <laughs> unfortunately. No, I don't, but I would love it if you would read one of any poem that really moved you, because you know the thing about a book is it's never done until someone reads it. Until the, someone the, reads it, and it changes with everyone who reads it, and that's what that's what's so alchemical about writing, is that it is alchemical, um, isn't it? Yeah, and and um, and you know, it's deeply, uh, deeply humbling, and 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 so privileged for a writer to be read by anyone. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm always amazed when people, when people like my books, it's like really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I want to say that there there's one, there's uh, a poem in there. I don't think we'd have enough time to read the whole poem, but something that just it was so beautiful. It it just and and there were many parts of it that that were so profound and so beautiful. Uh, if if I may read uh, one stanza, would that be just terrible? No, that would be perfect. Okay, and it's a beautiful poem. It's Auckland, and it's it's the one of the opening poems of the book, and uh, on on page seven, if anyone has a copy out there, the glass arch of the Grafton Bridge curves around me in light, like the dazzle of the sun through a dragonfly's wings protecting me from the old cemetery below and that brilliance i think will light my way home all right beautiful thank you oh well your your words are so beautiful and i wish i had time uh to read more of them and i do read some of them aloud because uh it is definitely a poetry that is in in motion and and something that uh, is very alchemical. It's a beautiful book, and I, I love the cover photograph. Yeah. It's thank just, you. It's just wonderful. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for being our guest on Gender Talk for doing this work. Do you have a website that you want to send people to? Please, it's www.chrisabani.com. Okay, we'll put a link to it on our website to yep. make it easy and for people. And the Virgin of Flames comes out in January, and everyone should read it. Everyone should read it. <laughs> All right. Great. Well, we're definitely looking forward to to doing that. And thank, thank you, you for the the uh, the important work that you do, and we we look forward to reading a lot more. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Good night, Chris. Okay.
quick well, note in passing is that we've often made the offer that if you send any poetry into us, that we would publish it for you, copyright it for you. Oh, we did? Yeah. Awesome. On Gender Talk? Yeah. Oh, okay. We will. We will. Coming up next, PJ, uh, excuse me, Brother Henry, uh, in for DJ Jamiz. <laughs> Um, so uh, stay here. There's going to be some great music coming your way with Brother Henry. And uh, let's see. Come and our website, of course, is gendertalk.com, where you can listen to this and uh, 450 other programs. Lots of them. Our, uh, that does it for our program tonight. We hope you've enjoyed our show as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you. On behalf of Gordine, Al Fuller, Raven, Raven, and myself, Nancy Nangeroni. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again next Saturday evening at 8 p.m. right here on WMBR in Cambridge. And please, if you feel like coming in the studio next week, your last chance, come, come on in. Come on down. Come on in. Okay, you, 8 to you, 10 here at WMBR. You can get here a little early so we can meet you before the show if you can. Uh, we'll be right down here in the basement of Walker Memorial, 142 Memorial Drive. Go to WMBR.org for directions on how to get here. So we'll hope to see you here next Saturday evening. In the meantime, remember... No matter what the occasion, gender talk is always appropriate. Good night, everybody.